Bandwagon Nerds is taped in front of a live studio audience. Scotch. I love scotch. Scotchy scotch scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Hello again, fellow basement dwellers. I am one scotch in. This is Patrick O'Dowd welcoming you in to another edition of Bandwagon Nerds here on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. Calm. Fellas, joined as usual by the live studio audience, PC Tunney, the lawyer David Ungar, Ray Cash once again, unfortunately, having to work on a Sunday. Starting to question his commitment, fellas. I've got I've got I've got problems here. Audience, what do you what do you think, audience? What what do you think of Ray Cash working on Sundays? Oh, see, they think it's exciting. They are very thrilled about it. Maybe they don't miss him. Do you, do you not miss him? Do you what do you think of Ray Cash? Oh, okay. Got it. Got it. So that's that's what it was. There's possibilities there. So if Ray Cash wasn't to come back, what do you think? Oh, okay. They're, they're down for him not coming. I'm I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I love Ray. We're gonna miss Ray today. I wish he didn't have to work today. He uh he shared with us that he was not happy with with having to work today. So Full disclosure, pulling the curtain back. We miss him. In what I think may be the lightest of Bandwagon Nerds episodes we've pulled together in a while, if for no other reason than the 90s project is going to continue, but it's probably probably the, the only category that I'm excited about. I know Tony is not a big fan of the horror genre and Ray. I think that's part of the reason why Ray did work today is because he's not a big fan of the horror genre. Dave and I talked off offline. This is going to kind of we're going to carry this, aren't we, Dave? I think that this is going to end up being Pat and Dave's top twenty horror movies of the nineties. <laughs> Tony made a list. I know. I'm sure. I, I'm sure he did. But I think, like, looking at your list and mine, there's like one. There's only one that overlaps. And and after I looked at yours, I deliberately deliberately said, you know, I'm just going to go in some different anything on the border that Pat's got on here. I'm going to go with something else and just get a more expansive because I know this is not Tony's favorite subject and Ray, I really wanted to see Ray squirm. So I'm disappointed. He's not going to be here. And just to tease everybody real quick. I, when, when, when I get to my number 10, I will quickly first read off the fun, weird, crazy dozen names that are horror movies that you may not think are horror movies. 
My goodness, that's that's something to look forward to. I, I we got one of them in the chat. I know that at least one of them that's going to make <laughs> the list. While I'm thinking about, it, I need to adjust the old order and cut Ray out. We miss you, Ray. We are going to talk about a couple of other little topics. I, I don't know about you guys. I felt a little lost this weekend with no Wandavision. Like I watched the uh, I watched the making of documentary on Disney Plus, and that was really good. And I think if you loved that show and you want to learn some really cool things about how they did it, particularly the first half when they talked about the work they went into to bring those various decades of sitcom television to life. There's a lot of cool stuff, and I learned a ton just even about like filming in black and white versus filming in color, for example, like the vision and the use of blue makeup over red makeup because it made it look more like vision and make it look more appropriate. So that that I thought was really cool. Did you guys have a chance to watch that? I saw Tony. I think I saw you nod. What did you think? I enjoyed it. I think you hit it right on the head. You got to see a lot of the things they did behind the scenes. You got to see the chemistry that um, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany had behind the camera and how they actually hyped up the crowd like a live studio audience. Right. It was filmed in front of a live studio audience. So imagine getting to be one of the people that were at that. Uh, that, that just looks like really cool. So what are I, appreciated, I appreciated the um, the look behind the scenes, definitely, and kept me kept me something to watch in between because I can't wait for, for Friday this week with um, the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. You liar. You, you can't wait for Thursday, right? Justice League. Justice League, Tony. You're a DC guy, damn it. Oh, yeah, that's Thursday? Yeah, the 18th, Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah. I forgot. Wow. There's a fan for you. You guys remind me of everything. I don't need to remember nothing. Next next Sunday, when we record next Sunday's edition, we've talked about this off air. It's it's just going to be a long show. Because we're like, let's look at what's dropping. The season premiere of Falcon of the Winter Soldier. The Justice League Snyder Cut, that's four hours of movie. And probably the most difficult of the categories, the wrap-up of the 90s project, the top 10 comedies of the 90s. I I fear for poor Greg DeMarco and how many commutes he's going to have to make just to get through our whole episode. Because poor Greg, he gets all worried after two hours. And and I just, I don't know. And, and to complicate it even further... March Madness. I got I got March Madness. We're going to talk about that at the end of the show for Patrick O'Dowd as a question, but this is my favorite time of year for sports. Dave and I talked about it this uh, on Sunday on the Chair Shot Radio. Like, I I was this close to being like, guys, would it be okay if we canceled? And it was like, we just, just can't. Can't cancel next week's show. It's too big. It's too big for what we do. We'll just start like it. 7 a.m. Pacific time or something. Get it out of the way. Everybody carb load, except for me, because I have diabetes, so I can't carb load. I have to I have to find another energy drink. I'll just drink like seven five-hour energy shots and a pot of coffee, and we'll get going. It'll be great. Do you have one of those like uh, resuscitating machines at your house? Just wondering for your wife's benefit if you're going to do that. Nah, I'm good. I'm good. I drink a pot of coffee a day. It's fine. It's all good. We are going to talk about a couple of little news bites that did uh, run through here. One, one will bring us back to WandaVision uh, a little bit, but the other, we haven't talked about them in a long time, and we're just going to get right to it. 
We're going to talk a little bit about some streaming service news that's that's come across. And the first one that I want to talk about is uh, another streaming service that debuted early March. New but not new in that CBS All Access has finally made the transition over to Paramount+. Plus. Now, I don't know if either of you two have this service yet or if you're even thinking about getting it. I gave it a first run, so I'll give I'll give a quick review. There's there's some unique programming to it that that we've seen out of all these streaming services that they they do to kind of give you this feeling of exclusivity. The first is Star Trek. If you're a Star Trek fan, this is going to be the landing page for Star Trek stuff. For example, they've got some of the Star Trek movies already on there they're looking to pull those as contracts go up i think you're going to see the same thing out of various series and they're starting to make some of their own unique original run series uh picard is on there uh there's an animated star trek series in there that was pretty cool and uh, called below decks and one more than the, the title of is is eluding me but if you're a star trek buff it, it's kind of worth worth your while paramount also is putting their their film content up there. And so your Indiana Jones movies are going to start living on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, some good Paramount-owned classic movies. I shared this. I watched the 1950s version of War of the Worlds the other day on Paramount+. Plus. It was just, it's great. And if you want to see a movie that still holds up pretty well for a 1950s horror movie in terms of special effects, it's really, really good for its time. Like, it's not perfect. It's the 1950s, but I, I really appreciate it. And, it's, and there's some really cool stuff. The other thing that this service is going to give you uh, is some neat, unique sci-fi and horror stuff. They only have Twilight Zone. And Jordan Peele was given the reins to create a new Twilight Zone. And the first season is on there. And he's able to bring in a lot of heavy hitters for some retelling of some classic Twilight Zone episodes as well as some new, unique, all his own uh, own episodes and, and other writers and directors. So I, I'm, I'm so I'm pleasantly surprised. I liked it. And you know, with the CBS owned properties, things like Nickelodeon, old Nicktoons are on there, like Rugrats, Ren and Stimpy, uh, Rocco's Modern Life, Dog, was it Dog Cat, Cat Dog, whatever that show was. Uh, are you afraid of the dark? Things like that. So. I think they got bugs like any other service, but I recommend it. That's my pitch for Paramount Plus. It's um, I mean, I think like right now, Peacock's obviously on a lot of our minds because of what's that's five dollars. Yeah, what's about to happen there? But uh, I, you know, I mean, if there's Star Trek on there, then yeah, it's something that I'm gonna have to probably. I'm not. I'm a much more. I'm a bigger Star Wars fan than a Trekkie, but that doesn't mean I wouldn't want to try out. You're, you're the guy who you, you're the guy who buys movies for the nerd review on a whim. So I'm not really too worried about movies, your movies are spending on, Pat. on another movies, subscription. Movies service. are forever. <laughs> Streaming services are kind of transient at this point. You don't know which yeah. ones are going to last. Honey's upset. <laughs> yeah, Tony, Tony. Okay, I, we gotta we gotta pull the curtain back because you're you're having heart attacks. What are you watching, man? I'm watching the end of the Arsenal and Tottenham game. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So Soccer. the other big news. Yeah, I, I know it. Uh, football, if you will. Here's the other topic that I wanted to talk about in terms of streaming services. Uh, news thing that is going around right now. I, I shared it with everybody the other day. Netflix is trash once again. This I don't know if I'd call it trash, 
But Netflix has started, and the title of the article that I pulled from Gizmodo was the Netflix password sharing crackdown has begun. So apparently what's happening now is that when people are signing into Netflix accounts, there will be a prompt that will ask you if you do not live with the owner of the account, that it sends the owner of the account some sort of message. Like it's trying to track down. Let me see if I get this right. So what it is, is I, Tony gives me his Netflix password. Tony and I don't live in the same house. I sign into Netflix's. I signed into I, Netflix. I really didn't. The password is Forrest And so I sign in at my home into Tony's account. Now it's going to send Tony a text message because they can tell that I'm not living in the, the location where Tony's account usually signs in from looking for basically some sort of code for me to enter to then be able to have access to the Netflix account. And if I don't have it, then Netflix is going to be like, start your own, create your own account. And so I don't know about you guys. I've, I know plenty of people who are more than willing to share their password for various streaming services. I remember it was huge when Disney plus hits Netflix, good guy, bad guy, indifferent. Isn't this just helping people that, that already have the product though, because I've heard a lot of stories where there's like 14 different people on your Netflix account because they can, they can hack it so quickly. Right. Like, right. like I know, I know I've, I've I personally, I know somebody that had to call and they're like, yeah, kick all these people off and then change the password again, because that's had no idea there were so many people signed into their account. So honestly, I don't know if, if, if it's not that bad, I mean, if, if I get a text message saying from you and you say, what's the code and I got it from them and I already gave you permission and what's the difference. That's fair. Dave, what do you think? I mean, if all they're doing is they're going to send something to, like, let's use your example. Tony gives you his password. He really, but if Tony did give you his password, uh, and and they send him a text saying, "Hey, is it?" Or do they send a, a text or a message saying, "Is this person an authorized user?" Is that what they're basically doing? It, the way I understand it, as I kind of look through the article, is it's like it automatically. Oh, let's go back. That's the wrong article. It says that it um, an image of an email message prompting its user to sign up for your. Oh, sorry. It seems like it sends something to somebody else asking you to like quickly enter a code that's only gone to the the owner of the account. I mean, if really that's all they're doing, then then let's say that Tony's okay with giving his password out to fourteen people. He's really, but if he was. <laughs> Then, and they're just sending him like a message saying, are the, is this person authorized? And Tony says, yes, they are. How does that solve Netflix's problem? Because Netflix's problem is the revenue so, they're losing on, on people sharing passwords. Well, what it, what reading the article, interestingly, the service seems to be baiting users to subscribe with the offer of a 30-day free trial of the service. Which is funny because they nixed their free trial offer last year, but now they're turning around and trying to get you to sign up. So I guess, is this a sign of trouble in paradise for Netflix? Is, is that, is that a read? Do we, do we, are we concerned with that? Like why? Cause like you said, why should Netflix care if they're making hand over fist? I mean, you other know, than the pirate thing or the, or the stealing. I mean, like what Netflix should be doing is they just should be, I, I mean, you want to cut through all the bullshit and really crack down is saying what IP address is this sign-in coming from? And if it's not the same IP address, 
get your own fucking account. You know, that way, you know, right. okay, everybody's in the same household. If you're not at the same IP address, to me, it's a lot easier to track that than to say, hey, PC Tunney, did you give this guy in Saskatchewan? Is he a family member or something like that? Okay, but here's the thing, too, though. Now, say I go somewhere and I go by somebody and I'm visiting family somewhere in, 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 in another state, right? And they don't have Netflix, but I want to watch Netflix and I go there and I'm on their IP. Well, then it's okay because that's why Netflix is sending you that code. That's what's making it okay. I think they're just going after the people that you don't know are on your account. And in doing so, they're also just advertising to other people that they know are using your account. I don't think they can really do anything except for if they went to, you can only have so many IP addresses allowed, which wouldn't really make sense if anybody had to travel around or or didn't live in one set location all the time. Yeah. Right. And to your point, isn't there some services that sort of limit devices, like the number of devices they can use an account? How does it kind of work the same way? Would you think like, I, I don't know. Um, it just seems to me, it was just, it's, it's interesting because it's like this new step. Right. And I think that when we've had these conversations before about, you know, we had Christopher Platt on last week and he talked about, or not last week, but in previous episodes when we've talked about these streaming services, where does where does the money come from? They're they're clearly looking for for people to pay for their service, which we can't really fault them, right? They're in the business uh, to make money. It's true. So anyway, we'll see how that pans out. According to Netflix, it is a trial thing, something that they're just working on. They're not nothing that's been made apparently official yet. So to, to their credit, maybe it'll, maybe it'll be something that we, we, we see them try and it goes away. Cause it doesn't really matter. It's like, we're thinking about fucking with you guys, but we're not sure just how much we're going to well, fuck with see you. How yet. much we can fuck with you. Yeah, right. Exactly. Like, let's see how, how far can we take it? How far can we take it? Well, it's like a Dana well, white if, at the UFC press conference before the Conor McGregor. And somebody, the first question the media asked him was about uh, the the potential of people stealing the streaming fight, right? And he goes, we got one guy. We got this one guy. And listen, motherfucker, we're just waiting for you to fucking turn it on. We got one guy. We're just waiting for you. I wonder how many people he deterred from going on illegally streaming and turning that on. If Even if it was a dozen. It wasn't. No. But, you know, that, that, to your point, what else do they have? What else can they do besides things like that? Isn't that what it is? It's just kind of a big, like, hey, here we are. People who are pirating streams, hackers out there are infinitely smarter than Dana White and his cronies are at stopping them. That's true. That's true. But it it does just take one guy. I mean, Jay and Silent Bob, they went through and found everybody who said bad things about them on the Internet and beat the shit out of them. So that, that that does work to some level. So more to come. Hopefully, hopefully nothing comes of it. Maybe something will come of it. I don't care because I was looking for another excuse to talk Marvel stuff. And thank goodness I got a story today that allows us to do so. So I'm going to play the music. So this morning, as I was cracking open the old interwebs, I was desperate, by the way, fellas, for for news items this week. I I didn't realize just how reliable. 
before you go, I, I really think you should switch your Twitter handle to one scotch in at one scotch in that, that should be your new Twitter I, handle. I'm sorry. Go ahead. What do you think? I, what do I said? All that. You, don't, you just liked my intro that much. I did. Absolutely. Like open one scotch in. I, I got to tell you, I, since we don't have a lot to talk about today, I can, I can go on this tangent. I'm still learning about creating my own sound bites. I got some editing practice. I really got to do, I got these like weird blank spaces and I just need to like go through and cut them out of like get on audacity and, and trim some stuff up, get a little bit better, but I'm growing. And I was very happy to find a variation of the scotch quote from anchorman, but I could have sworn there was one without music somewhere. And I couldn't find it. All I found was the was the intro opening to the movie one. But I could have sworn it was like in a trailer or something like that. And I don't know. So if anybody out there finds a link to help me with a Anchorman I Love Scotch without the music in the background so that we just clearly hear Will Ferrell's voice, I would I would love to hear it. But that's actually, you know, that's neither here nor there. What I did want to talk about today is uh, as I was opening up the old browser, I came across this article and it was the first time I'd seen anything of its like that Marvel is bringing back a large number of comics that had been sold out in the wake of WandaVision. And I just kind of wanted to react to this because I really feel like this is the first time I've seen what I would describe in 10 years, anything talking about a tangible side effect of a comic book movie to the comic, like the hard copy comic book itself. And what I I hope this means is that there's a trend for something good in a struggling industry. So, because and here's the, here's what they're bringing back. They're bringing back um, Tom King's The Vision, James Robinson's Scarlet Witch, Steve Englehart's uh, Vision and Scarlet Witch, and they're also increasing stock of the House of M story, which, according to reports, ran out almost overnight following the premiere of WandaVision. That's a pretty big deal. It's huge. I, I and I'm Dave's not surprised. Muted. Saying wonderful things. I know. I said. I said something about it's huge and and it's it's magnificent. And and then I was realizing that I wasn't talking about the same thing. No. Uh So it it is a big deal that you're getting these. I mean, and Tom King's vision is a fantastic story. I mean, that that's really excellent. Uh, but like, yeah, say that they're bringing increasing production to House of M that it sold out overnight. I'm I'm not surprised. How many times in the first four episodes of WandaVision did we say this is reverse House of M? This is this, this is that, this is disassembled, this is this, this is that. I'm not surprised at all. I mean, and and I would suggest, you know, we talk comics on here every so often. Like go and find like a suggested reading reading order for Avengers Disassembled, which really is a very long. I mean, it, I've read many places that scope of that is huge, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, and I've read many places that really extend it beyond House of M to say, hey, look. This disassembled story arc actually bleeds into Planet Hulk, into World War Hulk, into a lot of different things that come up after uh, uh, Dark Reign is is loosely tied into. They're all it's all one big continuum. So for me, yeah, I mean, get like a suggested reading order and just go through all this stuff, and and I mean, you could immerse yourself into this whole 
um, Wanda disassembling the Avengers, Wanda creating her own reality and how that has a, a trickle down effect on the next, I mean, what, like a decade after House of M? I mean, this stuff was still oh, kind of yeah. oh. going on. So, yeah, it, it, it's a very deep world. I would be curious, honestly, to look at statistics and see, like, um, after Infinity War came out, whether Infinity Gauntlet sales went higher. I would imagine they did. That was kind of my thought, too, yeah. Is did, did that create extra sales for the most overrated comic book story arc in history? But, Where's uh, Ray sorry. when I need him? Where's Ray? Yeah, I couldn't help it. I couldn't help it. I, it was it was right there for the taking. And uh, you know I, what? What it did for me is it as a as a fan of comic books and and these characters, so great to see that this show was so effective in getting people interested in Wanda Maximoff and the Vision that people bought these comics to the point that Marvel needs to restock it. I don't know that it creates some magical like I hope it creates new readers. I don't know that it will. Uh it does you know I I but if people are taking an interest there then it's then it does lend itself to building a greater audience in an industry that frankly it does okay but its boom period is long past and, and it's really been about cinema. It is. And I'm with you. I really hope that this translates into more people starting to, I wouldn't say discover, maybe discover, but rediscover, reacclimate themselves with this. I mean, even if, and see, I'm like a hardcore comic fan, but I am not one of these comic fans who, you know, throws up the cross to anything digital. I love digital comics. I love the digital medium. I love the fact that you don't have to go out God damn, how am I going to find a back issue of Avengers Disassembled or Thor Disassembled or Iron Man Disassembled to get this? It's like, oh, well, I'll go to Comixology and it's right there or Marvel Unlimited and it's right there. So, I mean, any way you're reading comics is a boon for the industry. I understand that there's the mom and pop comic stores that have a immense amount of charm and nostalgia to it. And I really would love to see them survive and thrive, actually. There are a lot of people who just don't, I mean, and especially the pandemic has really impacted that where it's like, oh, I don't oh, want to go to. It's been crushing yeah. to comic book stores. I don't want to go to my comic I, store. I just sit at home and order it off of my iPad. Think about right. being at the comic book store too, though. Like before all of this, it was all about going and looking through and touching everything, right? Yes. Like literally right. you're going through looking every through single box. Boxes. Yes, everything. So like that part of it is totally, totally got gotten <clears throat> Uh, a big stigma to it now. Right. I, I missed. So the, the decision to stop buying comics came when, when my wife told me that we were expecting the little O'Dowd and we had to like, you know, you have to look at things that are expendable, right? Like as you're looking at a new, yeah. And I love my son. I let's, let's get this clear. I love the little O'Dowd. I'm not resenting him for me not buying comic books anymore. Well, maybe a little, but not a lot. But I, I, my favorite, my favorite part of collecting comic books was going to the store and having a box. Like, and for those of you who don't know, at a, com- at a lot of comic book stores, you could have subscriptions. And what the store would do is that you had a pull list, and they would pull everything that you subscribe to, set it aside. You show up on Comic Book Day, you pick up your books. You felt like a rock star 
amongst the nerds because you would walk in, they would see you, and they just pull your shit out, hand it over to you, and you just you bought what you wanted. And I would go through it and I'd be like, because they would, um, my store in particular, like say you had every different Spider-Man comic. If there was some sort of special side run or something going on with Spider-Man, they'd pull that for you automatically. And you can go through and be like, ah, I'm not really, I don't want to read this. I don't want to read this. And they just take it and put it back on the shelf. And it was great. You'd love, you, they let you walk around, do whatever. And that's, that's a subculture that I hope really gets to come back. You know, Tony, the other thing you talked about, it's not very pandemic friendly to like go through and like thumb through books. But that was part of the charm of it all. To use your word, Dave, the charm was going into usually a cramped, smallish store that would have a display case behind the cat. Like there'd be the counter, right? With a glass display case showing off their fancy shit. And usually there'd be a display wall with the super fancy stuff. Like the old, like that might be where you might see an amazing fantasy 15 in a, in a case there. For, for those of you who don't know what amazing fantasy 16 is, that's the debut of Spider-Man. It would have all this, you know, those sorts of the, the Superman comic where he's lifting up the car, like all of those. And then there'd be the the statues and the figurines and all those things that you could buy, and it was it was just this it you know, it was kind of dark, it was a little little hole in the wallish a lot of times. You know you could go to because Newberry Comics Friends is not a comic book store, and anybody who calls it a comic book store should be drawn out into the street and had their nerd card taken away because they don't deserve it. Just saying. There's um. Like there's a, I'm going to give a shout out to these guys. They're not sponsoring us, although maybe they should. Uh, Captain Nemo's in San Luis Obispo. Fantastic store. It's a comic book store combined with a board game store combined with like a retro video game store and, and like retro equipment that you can't find like old turntables and stuff like that. This place is amazing. They've got all the old school comics. They got great selection of board games. And they were still open during the pandemic. We went there in June after like that episode where I was talking to you guys from the parking lot of wherever the fuck we were. Right. And and that place is fantastic. And, and you see places like that littered around that that are hybrids, comic stores. We dabble in board games. We dabble right. in D&D. We do this sort of thing. And that's where the industry was going um, to before kind of, yeah, before COVID shut everything down. But now with the pandemic, you know, I'm, uh, you know, optimistically, people are saying maybe it's coming to an end. We'll see. Hopefully those kind of places get more, uh, more business. People are going in there. I really hope, and I don't know the financials of it, but I really hope Comixology has some deal in place with DC, with Marvel, with Image, with Dark Horse or whoever. I don't know how it works as to when do you buy something there? How much does Marvel or DC get? They got to get something, I imagine. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure they do. I'm sure it doesn't, you know, just go away. I do have a quick question. You said this place sells like retro equipment, retro stuff like that. Can you get two turntables and a microphone? Is that where it's at? Maybe. Yeah. <laughs> what song? Okay, that's from and something. On, what, and on that note, what is that from, back, Patrick? What is back. It? It's back. Where it's at? Turntables and a microphone. Turntables and a microphone. What is that? I, I, I'm... Isn't that back? Okay, it's back. There you go. I got I got a little pop out of PC Tunny on that one. I like it. Big I like time. it. I, oh, I love back. I think that's a good place to wrap this up. What I am going to say is, dear dear fans, if you loved Wandavision, 
read some of these books, whether it's on Comixology, whether it's, you know, hard copies at a local comic book store or ordering off of an Amazon or ordering off of wherever you can find it. Wizard. Does Wizard even still exist? I don't even know. But um, any of those sort of places. And because I've argued this a lot. Comics are literature as much as anything else out there that you can read. And there's some really complex, great storylines. And so I'm thrilled that WandaVision got this kind of success for these books. And I hope that you know Falcon and the Winter Soldier can do the same. I hope that other... Like, I hope people go back and check out Doctor Strange when we get the Multiverse of Madness in some of these movies, too, because it's worth your time and it's worth your effort. I'll just That's I'll just gonna, add. Can I add one thing, Patrick, just to, yeah, to your ahead. point is my mom had never seen anything really Marvel. And I got her to watch WandaVision. And the first thing she did was go back and watch Doctor Strange. So there you go. When she wanted to Good. This is a great opportunity to build that brand our issues with the ancient one notwithstanding there you go so we're going to take a slightly longer commercial break this time around but before we do that i do have to remind you if you love what's going on here on the chair shot radio network and the chair shot.com please head over to pro wrestlingtees.com forward slash the chair shirt and chair shot chair shirt forward slash the chair shot and get a shirt uh we have all kinds of great stuff out there everything from the og chair shot logo to hashtag journalism to the bandwagon nerds t-shirt the official bandwagon nerds t-shirt the a winner is you shirt all kinds of great stuff out there relatively inexpensive 1999 for your standard style spend a little bit extra and go soft style you won't regret it and it'll help us. It'll help us keep keep putting out quality content day in and day out, week in and week out. We love doing it. It's a lot of fun. When we come back, we are going to break into the top 10 horror, I just love saying it that way now, films of the 1990s. You're listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the ChairShot Radio Network, a part of the ChairShot.com. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Hey folks, PC Tony here. Thanks to our new partnership with Angry Lemonade, you can save 10% on physical products and digital commissions using the promo code CHAIRSHOT. Head to angrylemonade.net to check out their amazing catalog of products and services. Use the promo code CHAIRSHOT to save 10%. That's angrylemonade.net. Are you looking for the newest and hottest in the world of pro wrestling? Then check out the amazing action on powerslam.tv, the biggest indie pro wrestling channel in the world. Get over 6,000 hours of the best events from over 150 of your favorite promotions from 20 different countries around the globe. Brands like Progress Wrestling, Evolve Wrestling, Combat Zone, Defy, PCW Ultra, PWX, Over the Top, Shine, and hundreds of others with fresh content added every day for only $5.99 per month. Get your free trial today at powerslam.tv. Go to powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Get your free month. Again, that's powerslam.tv, promo code chairshot. Thechairshot.com. Always use your head. I changed my mind. I'm going to do a commercial break in between our first five and our second five. So welcome back, everyone, to Bandwagon Nerds as we go into what sounds like probably was an easier challenge for Dave and I in building a top 10 horror movie of the 90s. Tony's kind of a little bit different. We He shared this with us last week. Less horror 
he's not a big gore guy, right? That that's kind of an accurate way to describe describe you, Tony. But thrillers, maybe suspense, maybe some psychological stuff in there. If I if I were if I were to guess, you're muted, so we can't hear this. this is we're on a roll. I think I. I think I put together a pretty good list here. I have a I have a top eighteen, so I mean I did come across there a bunch of things I right, I have right. I have watched or or watched most of. So we'll see we'll see. My my knowledge uh, when I drop my list is not going to be very extensive on most of these movies. So feel free to jump in if you have any thoughts on anything I have that you don't. Excellent, excellent. Well, and Dave, how about you? How did how did your list creation go? You already kind of let us in a little bit into your process. I think my list is is kind of a, a good cross section of um, psychological stuff. There's um, it, it's it, there's a little bit of gore, not much, but it's more psychological, some creepy crawly sort of things, things of that nature. Uh, you know of at least one of your creepy crawlies. Yeah, you do, and that was gonna that was the one that was gonna fucking make Ray just cringe. But I, I and, and like I said, when I saw your list and I saw what you had on there, I said, all right, let me go. And I mean, there was stuff on your list was all on mine as well as like on the fence. Do I put this in? Do I keep it off? Once I saw it was on yours, I said, I'm going to just, you know, because we're going to talk about it anyway. Let me add some more in here and expand the database, so to speak, of our 90s horrors, horror movies. And and that's that's kind of what I did. So it, it, I think I felt mine was pretty good. A good cross section of some odd stuff and some some really, I mean, yeah, we'll talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, horror movies are difficult to explain right. because they're psychological. They can be in your face. They can be quiet horror. They can be a lot of different things. Sure. I think this was hard for me in that the United States wasn't, in my opinion, producing great horror at the time. And this is probably the most international list that you're going to see for me out of this whole thing, because I have multiple films that are from other from other countries and including a couple of them that you're going to hear that were remade in the United States into really big hits but these are the originals these are where they came from so i'm i'm intrigued to hear what you guys came up with uh, i did leave a couple i had a couple that i had on there for a little bit uh and took off that actually showed up on other lists uh silence of the lambs for example like i had it on there and then took it off um but i got another one that i'm you know, put I, I waffled back and forth to keep on. It's an Oscar-winning film, though, and it ended up being my it ended up being my number two because I just couldn't I didn't have a good reason for for not including it. So, this week's order is Dave, myself, and then Tony bringing up the proverbial rear. So that'll be what we do today. As always, if we have a match, make sure that you raise your hand so that we can save it for when it's later in the list. And when we get to our number five, we'll take a quick commercial break and then we'll come back and we'll do our five through one. So, Dave, kick us off with your number 10 horror flick of the 90s. So my number 10 is the one that I talked to you about yesterday during Chair Shot Radio, Pat, off the air. It's the David Lynch bat shit crazy Lost Highway. I, I don't really know how to describe this movie other than what the fuck did I just watch? Crazy. Yeah, and everybody in my house now, and I told everybody, like my wife watched it last night. Uh, my That's niece, Reese Witherspoon, right? No, it is not. Who's the girl in it? Patricia Arquette. Oh, maybe wrong movie. Sorry. So 
everybody in the house, like my wife watched it, my niece watched it, my nephew watched it. They all, and, and like my nephew did the same thing that I did after I watched it. He went and said, all right, I got to read something to figure out what the fuck did I just watch? It, from the horror standpoint, there's not a ton of it. There's some gory parts in there. Um, it's more erotic than anything. There's a lot. There, there's some gratuitous sex involved, but you're not really sure what's reality, what's fantasy. Yeah, exactly. The chair. <laughs> you, you never get a really good sense as to, uh, all right, what is this guy imagining? What what is really going on? How did this flip so dramatically in the begin in the middle of this whole thing and. Uh, Robert Loja is in it. He's fantastic as as Mr. Eddie Swatch slash uh, Dick Laurent, who's kind of like an amateur porn producer. And, and that's where this thing kind of goes off the rails. It, it, you know, whenever you I love movies that make you think and movies that you're like really trying to analyze, OK, what really happened? And so much of it is subjective and open to interpretation. This movie's got loads of that. There are 20, there's at least 20 different YouTube videos of 20 minutes of length or longer analyzing this movie to try and figure out what did it all mean? How does this all fit together? What did I just watch? It's, it's one of those, I had always wanted to watch it. This project made me actually go and finish it off and, and actually go and watch it from beginning to end and, and try and decipher it. It's worth your time. It is very it is confusing it is subject to interpretation it is more psychological than anything but it is it is cr- a crazy ass movie i enjoyed it not everybody will but it's number 10 for me excellent excellent i was I, thinking I, I of think free i was thinking of freeway sorry dave that's all right man <laughs> go watch this one and let me know how, I, what you think at the end i've i've seen this i i haven't seen the movie but i know what you're talking about i looked it up here and i've, I've seen this before so yeah i think i actually will it's tied into like he has like um he's got like Mulholland Falls or something like that. It wasn't that another David Mulholland Lynch Drive. Yeah, that one. Um, Drive. David Lynch. I mean, nothing David Lynch has ever put out there makes sense. Mulholland Drive, Blue Velvet, this like Twin Peaks. No, he didn't do Twin Peaks. Did he do Twin Peaks? He did. He did. Yeah, Twin Peaks, uh, Eraserhead. Like nothing he's done is makes sense, and it's just batshit crazy and nuts. And he's clearly either a genius or insane, maybe a little bit of both. Psychological horror is a big part of a few of these. These and um, actually plays into my number ten as well. Event Horizon, which is a haunted spaceship movie, where the ship itself is the bad guy and drives Sam Neill crazy. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is also in it. But it's it's another one of those sort of psychedelic, surreal, you don't know what's going on entirely from from the get-go, who's bad, who's good, and eventually it just completely breaks Sam down to the to the point that he's murdering the crew. It's so it's so good. I think it's really underrated. I actually think Sam Neill, by the way, as an actor. Uh, for those of you who don't know, he's uh, Dr. Um, Alan Grant from Jurassic Park, for example. He is a hell of a great actor. He's been he's in a lot of great stuff. He was Damien in the third Omen movie. He's uh, he's always been great. He's probably been in a David Lynch movie. He's definitely been in he's been in some crazy stuff. So that was my you know, anytime you can get me horror in space, if we ever get to the right decade, Moon is another one of those where 
you know, it plays on isolation. It plays on fear. And, and again, it's a haunted spaceship. It's, it's, it's great. It's great stuff. It's a great movie. It's one of the ones that I, once I saw it was on your list, I said, all right, I'm going to move on. Cause Pat's going to talk about it. But yeah, that's, that's creepy. I think like the video game, uh, dead space was based largely yeah. on event horizon and some of the events because it's sure. the same. It's a video game based on that exact same concept. Right. Tony, you're number 10, my friend. So a couple things real quick here. Um, cube, and From Dusk Till Dawn, along with Silence of the Lambs, are three movies that we've had in other lists that are definitely in my top ten for horror. So we're going to expand the horizon here as well. And I'm just going to say this list once, and hopefully everybody can have a chuckle. These are actually other titles of horror movies from the 1990s that I figured I'd write down while we were doing this. Frankenhooker, Slumber Party Massacre 3, Sorority House Massacre 2. Night of the Dribbler. Let me explain Night of the Dribbler. This is a pumpkin-headed guy who dribbles his head like a basketball. Yep. That's awesome. Maniac Nurses. I Bought a Vampire Motorcycle. Ghoul School. Naked Lunch. Linnea Quigley's Horror Workout. Huh. Linnea, Linnea Quigley's Horror Workout. Mm-hmm. Uh, Killer Tomatoes Strike Back. Nudist Colony of the Dead. And Sorority Babes in the dance-a-thon of death. So very nice. horror and porn were kind of a crossover in the 90s, apparently. <laughs> yes, very horror, horror and sexuality has always been a part of, uh, is, a, is a match made in, in cinema. Well, so that's one of the horror rules, right, Pat? We're going to talk mean, about that. Keep, keep in mind, keep in mind, Slumber Party Massacre was on its third film. So that's a trilogy right there. Like, I hope that it bookended well and that they told a good, complete story slash saga. Excellent, excellent fun list. Oh, somebody was bookended. All right. It's yeah, it's, it's considered the police Academy of horror films. So anyway, my number 10 is flatliners. Uh, it's about a group of med students who figure out a way to die for a period of time to see what they can see. The afterlife is like, and then they bring it back. They bring each other back. And the cast in this is ridiculous. It's Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Bacon, Oliver Platt, Billy Baldwin, and Julia Roberts. So if you've never seen this, it's not great, but it's not horrible. It's pretty decent, and it's fun to see them younger act together. So it was my number 10. I'm embarrassed that it's not on my list because I love Flat the original Flatliners, not the shitty remake. The original no. Flatliners was fantastic. Yeah, Kiefer Sutherland, Julia Roberts. Um, Ke- is no, not Kevin. Is Kevin Bacon in that? Yeah, Kevin, yeah, Bacon, Kevin Bacon, Oliver Platt, Billy Baldwin. Literally just read the cast, old man. <laughs> like he literally I just, just trying to remember. It's like with Kevin Bacon in that he was. Yeah, that's a great call, man. Directed by Joel Schumacher. So that's my number ten. My number nine also has Oliver Platt in it, and it's Lake Placid, about a giant <laughs> crocodile. And it's in my top ten because I went and act- me and my buddies went and actually saw it when we were. I think it was our senior year of high school. And we had nothing to do, and we're I think we we're waiting to go to a party or something. Let's go watch a movie. So I I enjoyed it. I didn't really want to go see it, and I ended up enjoying it. So if you want a fun ride about a giant crocodile on somebody's land, and the government I think is trying to get at it, uh, it's a fun movie. Isn't Betty White in that movie? I think so. Where's where where? Because she's like feeding the gator or feeding the crocodile. I believe, I believe so. I believe so. I think she's the only one that wants to keep the gator or something. And the only one that can feed it. Right. I know it comes out and eats like a whole cow or a goat or at a time or something. Right. Yes. It's, it's totally movie. Betty. It's, she's cheering for the gator. That's a good one. It's, a, it's, it's very a fun. fun. Very fun. So my number nine 
would later be turned into a movie in America in the early 2000s and 2007 starring Naomi Watts. And it is a film called Funny Games. Now, this is I'm trying to remember if it was Dutch or German or, or what. But the premise of the story is is very, very simple. It's these bored teenage kids who go to rich people's vacation houses, bind them up, or bind up the family, these families for a week while they slowly play various games with them, promising freedom, only to eventually kill them. It is is dark as hell. And this was a this was a time when other countries were making very bleak ending horror films. The best part about this movie is that nobody nobody out of the family that you're following survives. Like it's it's terrific. And these guys they go to they, these houses are all around a lake and it's isolated. So like there's no real communication, there's no real connection and they work their way into these families to be friendly posing as people in a cabin down the way. And by the time the game is kind of up, it's too late. It's, it's great. Again, it's psychological and it's torture at the same time. And it's, it's very violent. It's, it's not for the weak stomached, uh, but I, I love it. It's a genius, genius film. And like I said, it spawned a fairly successful remake in the United States in the early two thousands. Yeah, that, that's one I need to watch. I've heard a lot about it, but I don't think I've ever seen that one. Used to be available on one of the streaming services. I can't remember which. Okay. Uh, my number nine is like the only sequel that I have on my list, and it's The Exorcist 3, where, you know, The Exorcist 2 was just, I mean, you're talking about, <laughs> the problem with The Exorcist was it was so great that you were almost afraid for them to make a sequel. And when they actually made the sequel to The Exorcist, it was just absolute bullshit trash garbage the heretic was just horrible um exorcist 3 was kind of a redemption of the franchise a little bit there's in the story is a little bit far-fetched i mean you know how did this priest survive falling you, you know damian karras actually survived that leap down the stairs and then you get to realize that he's really possessed by the zodiac killer and it, it makes you wonder just what is evil i mean is is what is the devil what how deep does this go where it's multiple I mean, in the first one, it was all about Legion and that sort of thing. And that kind of bled into the second one. But here, it's like, what is actually in Father Damien Karras? George C. Scott does a great job in this movie. Um, There's some really disturbing <laughs> scenes in this movie. Some creepy stuff. Pat knows what I'm talking about with the nurse and 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 the it's one of the single great it's one of the single greatest jump scares i've ever seen in the blocking and the way it is done is so good and once you see it once like it, it'll never get you again but jump onto youtube go exorcist 3 jump scare it'll be the first thing that pops up just watch it without context it's great he used no sound in the scene except for the sounds being made like as somebody's walking through all it's so great it's so great it, it's like they took the spider walk or the crab walk from the extended cut of the first one and then just amplified it in oh, this thing oh you're we're talking about different scenes from that movie there's a couple of them like man. i yeah the, you're, the spider walk scene that you're describing yes no i'm talking about the nurse in the hallway oh yeah 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 
Yeah, exactly. One of the single greatest jump jump scares I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely, absolutely. Just, there, there's very, multiple. Very, the timing of that scene is impeccable. It's ridiculously good. It is. It's fantastic. And, and, and the movie was very much a redemption of the franchise at that point. And it would go on for a while and yeah, do different things. It was all right. But, um, but I, 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 it's one of my favorite movies of the uh, horror movies of the 90s. So that's my number nine. Uh, my number eight is going to be the one movie on our list that is going to be a duplication. It's way higher on Pat's yep. list. It's Misery. So we will move all on right. to your number eight. That's higher on Tunney's, too. Also higher on Tunney's list. Oh, no, well. it's my number 11. Sorry. Oh. Oh, oh, okay. So Dave talked about psychological horror earlier. For me, it doesn't get much better than Jacob's Ladder starring Tim Robbins. It's an allegory for post-traumatic stress in the wake of the Vietnam War. Tim Robbins literally does not know what is real. It is, it's such a mind bender of a movie. And I think it was, was it Wes Craven? That did this one? No, Adrian Lynn. My fault. Adrian Lynn. And it's just he he just he's he's losing his complete grip on reality. And there's the there's the what is it, the dance scene that that is really again, it's one of those things you just don't forget it once you see it. There's the he, like he's lying in the bed with a fever. And the things he's seeing while he's while he's hallucinating, it's it's nuts. It's bonkers. I actually don't want to talk too much about it because there's so much crazy that trying to describe it doesn't do it justice. There's a lot in the movie that's it's similar to Lost Highway, but a very different movie where you're not sure. Okay, what is he really? What is real and what is just all in his head? And and, and those kind of movies leave a lot to interpretation as to what's really going on and and what's just completely fabricated in some dude's PTSD riddled mind. It's a great movie. It's, it's hard to describe because it's way out there in many, many ways. Very, very much. So Tony, you're number eight. My number eight. I think it's going to be higher on somebody else's list. It's tremors. No, No. nobody's got tremors. Oh man. Another, another another Kevin Bacon flick though, but I mean, not you might not appreciate the movie, but the long-lasting um, continual additions, the the life it's had after the movie, I mean, is it's it's very much a cult following. To be honest with you, the, all the different you know things that have come the, afterwards. The dad from Family Ties as Bert, and, and um, shoot Reba McIntyre as his wife, and their basement full of guns. That's that they steal the show. Like Kevin Bacon's good in that, but those two are a riot. Like shooting the things with elephant guns, making dynamite, just oh, delicious. It's a deli- it's a fun. You want to talk about just a delightful, fun horror movie? Trimmers is it? Trimmers is it with Kevin? Kevin and Kevin Bacon is a lot of fun in that one as well. Watch out for the graboids. That's right. Take a picture with the graboid. <laughs> Grab a picture with a graboid. All right. There you go. My number seven is the Blair Witch Project. It's higher on my list. All right. There we go. My number seven is another international flick that got turned into a big hit in the United States, and that's Ringu 
which is the original version of what would later be what we would all know as The Ring. Uh, I encourage people, if you enjoyed the movie The Ring, to watch Ringu, because while it's similar, it's not the same. And the focuses are very much different. The Ring focuses more on, and I'm going to forget who the American is, Naomi Watts, maybe, that's investigating the the tape and the history behind the girl and the tape, whereas Ringu is really just much more about the creep factor of the video and and the people dying in horrible, horrible ways. Korean horror really took off. Um, Asian horror in general really started to take off as a, a fertile ground for good horror or good horror in the in their nineties when the American audiences were looking for something to to kind of freak them out. So check it out if you haven't ever seen the source material. It's worth the time. Yeah, that's a good recommendation. That's uh, because the ring creeped me out. The remake was was creepy as fuck. So I got to check out the original. My number seven is uh, Misery was on here. It's one Stephen King novella. Uh, number seven is another Stephen King movie. It's The Dark Half. George Romero did this one. And I, I one of my favorite King stories where, you know, it, it's it's that Beaumont has got this. <laughs> he what when he was when he was born, he had this, a tumor and it's discovered like it's an undeveloped twin in his brain that that they get rid of. But he takes the surname of this George Stark guy and starts writing all these successful novels and then has to basically admit it's him because he's being blackmailed. But subconsciously, he brings this ulterior ego of his to life and the conflict that they have and 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 the deaths that that George Stark inflicts on people is just like, wow, that is just some disturbing shit that he does to some of the people. So it's a good it's a great movie to watch it's got romero's fingerprints all over it it's not really you know the zombie stuff you're used to but it's really really good it'll keep you engrossed and like midway through the movie you're like wow this isn't just a figment of his imagination this is a real alternate person that he's created so i love the dark half that's number seven for me excellent excellent yeah um stephen king always he wrote multiple works dealing with authors and pseudonyms and you can't help but just see that there's a lot of himself and what he was wrestling with as an artist in, in a lot of these there's the dark half there's the um is it secret window is that the one with uh johnny depp that uh yeah yeah i mean but he uh, wrote he wrote a lot of stuff under the pseudonym of uh richard bachman didn't he so he's right. got that's, his own that's my point yeah that's, that's what i'm saying is that clearly like he Stevie King is not a normal dude, no. like whether he was coked up or, you know, any of this stuff like and, and you see that manifest itself in so much of his writing. And, and there's a reason why they, they crank out and make such good horror films. So I, I'm, I'm all for that. That's an excellent number seven. Why don't you give us your number six? Yeah, my number six is uh, Sleepy Hollow. Johnny Depp, the retelling of the Sleepy. Oh, it's higher on Tunnies. OK. All right, so that'll bring me to my number six. It's my turn to talk a little bit about Kevin Bacon as I talk about the 1990, I think it was 1999 flick, Stir of Echoes, which in an era of, there were two movies involving people seeing dead people slash things. I don't know if one of them's on somebody else's list, but for me, Stir of Echoes 
with Kevin Bacon having visions of a dead girl who was murdered and trying to figure out who it was. It was, it, it's terrifying because it's just like, it's just like the sixth sense in the sense that you don't know what the ghosts want or try or are trying to do. Whereas, you know, there, and both of them have some level of a twist, not a big twist, but it drives Kevin Bacon to try and discover who this young teenage girl's murderer was and to learn who was responsible. And as the, as the movie plays out, it's just, it's really, really good. And, you know, there's a child involved who also has, has similar abilities, um, but is much, much stronger about it uh, and stronger with it. It's, it's great, great stuff. I, I recommend if you've never checked it out, give it a watch, especially if you like the sixth sense. This is like a darker sixth sense is the way that I would describe it with a better twist. It's a good one. That's for sure. All right, Tony, you give us your number six and then we'll go to a break. You got it. My number six is interview with the vampire. Tire on my tire. And on that note, we will go into a quick commercial break as we're going to tell you all a little bit more about our mania madness show that has started airing on the chair shot radio network. When we come back, we will give you our top five horror films of the nineties. You're listening to bandwagon nerds on the chair shot radio network, part of the chair shot.com. Hello everyone. Welcome to the greatest sports entertainment spectacular of all time. Welcome to WrestleMania! Hey folks, PC Tony here. Make sure you're checking out Mania Madness every Friday afternoon on thechairshot.com. Christopher Platt and a rotating list of guests go through every WrestleMania one six-pack at a time. Check it out every Friday only on the Chairshot Radio Network. I forgot to do this. So before before you go, Tony, I feel obligated to do this too. Welcome to the 90s. What the hell? <laughs> all right, that's enough of that. That's enough of that. I just I I usually I had it all set up, and then when I decided not to do the second commercial, it didn't flow in. You guys, I got it. I got it set up on on my soundboard. You got to play it next week before the comedy, though. That's for sure. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. I will not forget. So. We uh, we're now into our top five. We've had a couple of matches, so it's your number five, sir. I uh, I know it's higher on your list, Patrick. Uh, it's Scream. Okay, that is correct. So that moves it to me and my number five. My number five is the Blair Witch Project. Now, the Blair Witch Project is the reason we have all the found footage movies that exist today. In my opinion, like there's been other sort of documentary esque done horror films but this one it's a movie you can only watch once and fully appreciate because because once you watch it once it kind of loses a little bit of its magic but the marketing behind this movie was genius and the marketing was that this was real found footage of three college students who got lost in the woods searching for the mysterious Blair Witch and then it's all about sound and darkness. That's it. That's the whole film is all about preying on the the isolation of fear of being lost in the woods and a supernatural force around you coming after you. And the the way it drives them to eventually all 
die. It was brilliant. I remember I remember watching it in the theater and being a little smug about it because like I'm like, how can you get lost in the woods? Just follow the river and you'll eventually you'll find something. But that wasn't the point of the movie. Like the point of the movie is that something was keeping them from escaping. And it was just it was really, really well done. And it was very, very simple. It's filmed in black and white. You know, they find things around them, but nothing is overly threatening, yet you feel threatened. It's really, really well done and uh, was just clever in the way that they they brought it about. Like, I remember there was a website that had to do with it that had all this sort of extra material about the Blair Witch. Good, good stuff. Can't recommend it enough. Go out there and check out the Blair Witch Project if you haven't ever before. And watch it in the dark. You got to watch it in the dark. I, I had this on my list at number seven. I just remember that this created a buzz like most other horror movies do not create like a mainstream buzz. Like there's only so many horror movies that really create that buzz. And I think Taco Bell had a commercial with that using it or something like that. Like it got associated with bigger things than horror films usually do not to shit on the genre at all, because there's a lot of great art and, and cinematography and in tons of tons of horror movies. But this was just something, like you said, it was different. And i personally, I remember the buzz about it. Yeah. There was, um, there was a period of time where a lot of people thought it was real. Right. I mean, for at least a little period of time, they were portraying it as real and people were like, is this real? Is this not? And then it becomes quickly apparent when you're watching it, it's like this can't be real. Uh, but it was it like you're saying, it's all about atmosphere. It's all about the stuff that these guys are doing and, and, and the sounds that are they're hearing and the witch screaming in the background and just the camera angle, which is vertigo inducing on a few places. But yeah, when they get to the cabin in the woods, not to steal from another movie. And, and they're going through that. And then you see the guy in the corner and that's how it ends. It's just absolutely fantastic. It, it's a great call, Pat. I love the movie. Uh, you're, you're absolutely right. Once you watch it the first time and you realize the truth behind it, you're like, what the hell's the big deal about this? This is really shitty. Production values are crap. But up until that moment, it's just a fantastic ride. And, and you could still watch it multiple times and appreciate what they did. But you're right. It ushered in mockumentaries became more prevalent after this. Uh, found footage stuff they all became more prevalent yeah you this. you don't you don't get paranormal activity later on if blair witch doesn't lay the foundation that, that's what i'll say about that you're right all right you're number five dave well you uh just mentioned it numerous times in your discussion of stir of echoes and it is higher uh, it is on my list it's uh the sixth sense the bruce willis uh who was it Haley joel osmond was he the kid it's you know, I mean, from the horror standpoint of it, there's nothing overly horrifying. There are some scenes with the ghosts and the guy who offs himself, or so you think. It's the twist at the end that gets everybody. And yeah, it's one of those movies that's similar to Blair Witch. When you watch it the first time, the twist at the end, you're like, oh, wow. But then you watch it back a few times and you start picking up on the subtle little hints that they drop that Bruce Willis is dead the whole time. And yeah, the movie gets gets dumbed down a lot because of its prevalence in 51st States. And this, the the uh, connection to Lucy, because that's they got to watch it every day because that's the last thing she remembers. But it's a really, really well done horror mystery sort of thing that Bruce Willis is fantastic in it. Uh, you know, and it, it's it gets it does get a bad rap because I see dead people is panned by just about everybody. But you take all that away and look at the movie standing yep. on its own. It's fantastic. Nobody panned that movie when it came out. Not when it came I out. Remember si- I, I remember sitting in the movie theater with my friend Kyle. I was in college. And I remember we're watching this movie. 
And I remember leaning over to him and I remember exactly where it was. It was when the girl, when, when Haley Joe Osment is in the tent and the girl just appears with the box. And I, I just leaned over to him and was like, this, this is brilliant. And the, 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 the M. Night Shyamalan, when he is good, is phenomenal. Now, M. Night Shyamalan, when he is bad, gives you the happening. So you need to be careful with that. But I do love, I, I just, to me, it was, it, it was one of those things, like I said, I picked Stir of Echoes over because I could rewatch Stir of Echoes and the mystery like still kind of sucks me in and, and the performance kind of sucked me in. Being all about the twist, take, like that takes a little bit away from it, in, in my opinion. So nothing wrong with that choice though. Because like I said, I remember in the theater, brilliant. And and you got to give credit to Haley Joel Osment, very young at the time that they oh, yeah. made this, and he turned in a magnificent performance. Um, my number four is the movie that we kind of talked about yesterday. This is the one that Ray would not like at all, at all, because it's arachnophobia. And this, oh, never mind. Oh, 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 <laughs> higher on Tony's list. That means we're going to my number four. How about talk about a character actor that doesn't get enough love, and that is a man named Tony Todd. Tony Todd, you might remember him from our action flick discussion of The Rock. He was one of the mercenaries that turns on Ed Harris at the end. But he's probably most well-known for his role as the Candyman in the 1990s. And Candyman was the first in 92 that spawned, again, a long string of sequels. And Tony Todd, with his intimidating presence as a slave who is getting revenge on all of the people that hurt his life and his people's lives and the play on urban legends on how you summon him and and bees, man, you know, like bees, just bees everywhere. Ah, you know, and not in the Nicholas cage, like not the bees. No, like it's just, it's so well done. He's menacing and his presence makes that film. Right. Like his his character, Candyman ranks up there, in my opinion, with Jason, Freddy Krueger, all of those types of characters. And Candyman was it from the 90s. And he was scary as hell. Yeah, I, I, this is this is one that I deliberately left off once I saw it, it was on your list. But, yeah, it's, it's fantastic. You're right. The urban legends that they play off of the whole Bloody Mary aspect of things. And and he turns in a tremendous performance. It, it's I don't know. I, I don't know what you think, Pat. Probably underrated. As far as horror movies oh, of the 90s go. I, I think it's just now getting a renaissance because of the remake that's coming out uh, in the future. So, I, yeah, I, I think it's terrific. And people, if you haven't seen it, should check it out. It's a classic, in my opinion. It's a classic. Yes, absolutely. Great call. I think we're back to... No, where's it, Tony? Number four. Speaking, uh, you guys brought up Stephen King earlier. My number four is the three-hour classic, It. Great Tim call, Curry play, Tim Curry plays the clown. It's the same story we've always heard before. Uh, I don't know if a lot of people remember Seth Green is actually in this movie. Um, I don't know if you guys have any more thoughts on the story, really. I don't. I haven't seen it in a long time. But to me, this is just something that definitely deserves to be one of the top 90s horror films. It's one where it's going to automatically get compared to the remake, which is excellent in its own right. Um when you're comparing the clowns, you know, uh, who's it? Skarsgård? Doesn't he do the clown in the remake, Tony? I think so. 
So in in the T and it was and, and the great thing is the it that you're talking about was a TV series. It, it wasn't in the theaters. It was it was made for TV sort of thing. But yeah, Tim Curry's portrayal of Pennywise is terrifying. I will tell you a true story about this movie. This movie traumatized the guy I worked with when I last job I had before I switched jobs four years ago. We worked together for many years. We lived across from each other in the apartment complex. My kids grew up with his kids. One of the first movies we have on Voodoo that I ever got was this movie, It. And his son watched it with my kids when his son was like six or seven. And it's traumatized him so badly that he still has trouble in the showers because of the scene where the clown comes out of the shower. It's a terrifying expose. The first half is stronger than the second, probably very similar to the remake, ironically enough. Um, and, And the creature at the end gets a little bit cheesy. Yes, but it's a fantastic movie. It it brings King's story to to life as well as you probably could at that period of time. You know, they're not all the controversy about the gangbang scene and all that shit. You're not going to get that in the nineties or in twenty eighteen. So, you know, I, I, I love the movie. It, it's it's creepy, it's terrifying. It, it is it it is it is a psychological masterpiece. I have the Pennywise costume. I terrify children with that every Halloween to this day, and it makes my soul smile a little bit, which makes me sick a little bit, but it's okay. It's Halloween. It's a little weird. <laughs> it is. You know, what's, what's crazy <clears throat> is how effective that movie was for a TV movie. Like, and, and that's the thing that's really, you know, kind of blows my mind. Is that, I mean, that was primetime television, two-part mini show. I was I was not yet a teenager when that came out, and I remember like being kind of scared of the commercials. If like right. the adults had gone to bed and I was still up watching TV, I'm like, oh, maybe we'll change the channel and remember to flip back here. I don't need to see that freaking creepy clown right now. <laughs> no, a lot of a lot of people's clowns issue clown issues come from that. So totally get that. Excellent choice. Uh, number your- three, number three. Yep. Then here uh, was was a little lower on Dave's list, and that's Sleepy Hollow. The Washington Irving classic done by Tim Burton with Christina Ricci. I love her, right? She is excellent. And I think it's just a fun movie. There's another one that comes later on. I think a Matt Damon did it with, um, I can't remember who else he did it, but I just love this story and this tale and Tim Burton, anytime you can get him involved and kind of add his interesting take on things, especially to such a classic tale. I, I enjoyed the shit out of it. What did you think, Dave? Yeah, it's it's number six on my re, on my list. Uh, Johnny Depp's fantastic in this movie. Yes, Johnny Depp can't discount his performance. It, it is it is a great story where, you know, when when you finally get the supernatural element it, when it comes to life and the stuff with the tree and all that, it's extraordinarily powerful because a lot of good horror movies like The Dark Half's the same way where you're trying to find the rational explanation for it, and then by the time you realize that there's a supernatural explanation for it that's when the movies really grabbed you i thought sleepy hollow did that very well brought that st- not easy not an easy story to bring to life tim burton really does his fingerprints again all over it uh christina ricci fantastic it's um it's an excellently done film i mean it, it's dark but not too dark you know you can see what's going on and that sort of thing and uh, i love the cinematography of it a fantastic m- movie if you're a fan of Sleepy Hollow, go watch The Brothers Grimm with Heath Ledger yeah. and Matt Damon. That's what I was. It's it's the brothers that try to catch yep. the go the ghost and everything else. So two awesome stories about 
Washington Irving's classic, you know, the legend. Right. I, uh, I always get a kick. Tim Burton did an interview where he talks about one of the things that they always, they looked for were ways to squirt Johnny Depp with blood. And so if you look throughout that movie, he gets squirted in the face, like all over the place, which is blood. And his character is this forensic pathologist who doesn't like blood and gets squeamish and is, and is a little weirded out by such things. And yet he kind of has to suck it up and go through it. Also, Christopher Walken as the Hessian. However, the headless Hessian who does all the axe fighting, Ray Park, uh, Ray Park, the uh, famous swordsman known to you all as Darth Maul in uh, right. the Phantom Minutes. So good, good little tidbit there. And he cuts Casper Van Dien in half in Sleepy Hollow. It's one of the best moments ever. That brings it to my number three. This is a movie I seriously thought about putting number one, but I think it's so obscure that it didn't make sense to put it number one for you guys. And that is a Japanese horror flick called Audition. Now, I told this to Dave off air yesterday again as we were as we were recording Chair Shot Radio. Audition, I learned about watching a, a special on AMC that was doing a countdown of the hundred greatest horror films of all time. And one of the, this movie made the list. And if you look, it's generally in a lot of top tens uh, of the '90s, if not of all time. It's just outside, I think, of the top ten in this in this move and in this horror movie list that AMC put out. But they have like a group of panelists who talk about it, and one of the people who talks about it is Rob Zombie. And Rob Zombie starts talking about how the movie creeped him out. And if the man behind House of a Thousand Corpses is creeped out by a flick, you know it's something special. And the story is 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 one that that there's this guy and you know he's in for a bad time but he doesn't know it because he's a single dad his son is is older he wants him to get back out there and start dating the guy works as a tv exec one of his buddies is holding an audition for roles in an upcoming show that mayor, I, I can't remember if it's fake or it's real, but he invites his buddy at this TV station or this uh, TV studio to sit in on the auditions. And if he takes a fancy to any of the women that are auditioning for this role, you can call him up and ask him out on a date. So this one woman who comes up, she's very sweet, very shy doing the audition. The guy kind of connects to her. He decides that he's going to try to make the call. When he makes this phone call, it cuts away to the woman in an empty apartment with a phone on the floor in the middle of this apartment and a sack in the background. And the phone starts ringing and she just stares at the phone, sitting crisscross applesauce, just stares at the phone as it rings. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the bag just starts fucking rolling all around the floor. And you're like, what the hell is going on? And it culminates in a 15-minute torture scene that I, to this day, cannot unsee. And she is done up in like a butcher's apron with gloves, and she paralyzes this dude and then starts stabbing him with acupuncture needles all over his body, sticks him in his eye, and you don't actually see him do it, but like they do this like 
thing where you can see like the needles moving around like they're in somebody's oh it's crazy she pulls out razor wire and like slices off his limbs but again you don't see it you just hear her and she's like this child having fun and it's crazy and then the dude wakes up next to her on a date and you're like what just happened here and i don't care if i spoiled it this movie's really real really old and it still doesn't take away because you know this dude is in for a bad way you know he's in trouble and and at the oh it's so good it's so good if you can read subtitles you know like while watching a movie if you're all if you're okay with that check out audition that's my number three (laughs) that sounds crazy what a bad that's a bad date man that is a bad first date it's a really bad date yeah I mean, I've had I've had bad first dates, but that's really bad. I mean, shit. Right. Um, my number three. I know it appeared on uh, on lists earlier. I forget which one. Maybe it was on what, somebody's drama list. I don't know, but it's seven. Uh, you know, I mean, yeah, it was. Uh, I think it might have been might have been Ray's. Or was it? it was, oh, was it Ray? Ray. It was, that I did mean, it, yeah. you know, the we talked about it then. The horror element is there, no doubt about that. With uh, right. Kevin Spacey's portrayal of. Uh, Killing people in the name of the uh, seven unforgivable sins. And of course, we're talking, you know, Six Sense had this great twist at the end. Seven had a great, magnificent twist at the end with one of the most iconic lines in cinema history. What's in the box? You know, uh, it's it's just a phenomenal performance. Brad Pitt, Morgan Freeman, Kevin Spacey. We talked about it so much during the other episode. I don't really feel the need to extrapolate on this at this point, but it's a fantastic movie. It's just agreed. I mean, I've seen it multiple yeah. times. It's 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 excellent watch. It keeps, you've never seen it. It's it's you put it to the top of your list and it, watch it. It keeps getting better every time you watch. And you pick up. It's one of those movies that you pick up additional things each time through. Like, oh, I didn't see that the first time. Oh, okay, I get it. So yeah, it's 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 a phenomenal movie for a reason. Um, my number two, I think, was lower on Tunney's list. I don't remember. I think it was. It's an interview with the vampire. Is it? Yeah. Yeah, it was my number six. Okay. Look, I mean. You could say what you want about Anne Rice, and 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 people have said a lot of things about her as an author. Some people love her, some people not so much. I think she's just fine as an author. But this movie, Interview with the Vampire, uh, is so much the polar opposite of what Twilight was that you wrap that around some phenomenal performances from Tom Cruise as a vampire. Lestat is magnificent in this movie. Brad Pitt, phenomenal. Christian Slater, phenomenal. It's magnificent that they take the story of these Victorian, almost, yeah, the Victorian era vampires, and they do romanticize them to a certain extent, but they maintain that horrific element to them that you you don't look at them as just being like Twilight glamorized them too much and made them too romanticized. And you almost like, oh, they're cool. They're like us. An interview with a vampire brings you up to that edge and then quickly reminds you of just what bloodthirsty creatures vampires were. Everything done. This is fantastic. The end is great where Lestat shows up (laughs) and wipes out Christian Slater. You know, I'm going to defer turn, turn over to Tunney to talk more about it, but it's just a magnificent. It's, it's a great ride. Antonio Banderas is in this too, isn't he? Kirsten Dunst, Antonio Banderas, uh, young Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. Yeah, the, the cast is ridiculous, and it's 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 interesting. Like Kirsten Dunst does a great job playing the role that she has is so intricate in in the storyline, introducing the you know the young girl being turned against the family. So it, it's it's an interesting concept. You know, you're you're 
Christian Slater, man, does a great job with with the part he's given, and I think that is really underrated in this in this movie here. Yeah, and the other thing I'll say is Brad Pitt is kind of the reluctant vampire, and, and there's a the story is also about a lesson about the 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 weight and the burden of immortality, which a lot of people you don't think about immortality being a burden. It's like, wow, that'd be really cool, but in this situation, there's a definite burden to being a vampire. Yes, you're immortal. But what you have to do to maintain that immortality and Brad Pitt's rebellion against that by feeding off rats and animals and, and not killing uh, is is one of the most powerful aspects of the movie. And Tom Cruise, not nearly so discerning about who he takes out. <laughs> very much so. Very, very true. Very true. OK, so that brings it to me. Is it you? My num- am yep. I number two? Yep. And number two. Uh, Dave, you mentioned it earlier. It's our it's our one matched up movie, and that's uh, Misery. Kathy Bates won an Oscar for her role in in this in this film. Annie Wilkes. It's fascinating because it's really not it's it's horror in again a psychological sort of sense, and not like psychological like I'm seeing things or imagining this. It's about the the horrors of fandom the 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 psychological abuse of keeping somebody against their will really doesn't torture them until the end when you start to see her anger and her rage start to come out and then of course everybody remembers the hobbling scene when James Khan she finally calls him out for trying to get out of his getting out of the room that she's been locking him in and she smashes his ankles with a sledgehammer and everybody i think they only show it once but that rob you know rob reiner made sure that you saw at least one foot go the wrong way it's disturbing and, and kathy bates carries that movie there's a reason she won an oscar for it it's just terrific terrific stuff I was surprised this was on your list because I know this is the one we talked about off air for Chair Shot when we were talking about Lost Highway and Pat, you know, just breaking down the curtain a little bit was talking about misery and, and that it's hard to place because, yeah, it's not in your face. The sight, the horror is very much below the surface, but you're right. It, it is. It's fandom. It is the sense of captivity that I'm keeping you here and and everything that Paul, Paul, well, not What's his name? Paul Weldon? Paul Sheldon. Paul Sheldon. Paul Sheldon. And just his wanting to get free and, and just how deep her fandom and her fanaticism really goes and what she subjects him to. It is it is the, the, the horror and the terror of being subjected to captivity against your will, you know, right. imprisonment. That's where it really comes from. And it is it's another Stephen King movie, but it's a great. Yeah. Kathy Bates. This one. This is the one that really put her on the map. Right. Really was her big, big break. So, excellent. Good call. Your number two, Tony. My number two is Bram Stoker's Dracula. Um, It's a story that, if you don't know the story, it's basically a vampire from, like, what, the 15th, 16th century, who his wife commits suicide upon hearing him off to war that he's died and he returns and no one told her or whatever, and he's enraged about it. So obviously being a vampire, he's immortal. And then we come to like 
almost like around 1900 and Keanu Reeves takes over like his lawyerly duties and his wife reminds him uh, the Keanu Reeves wife the lawyer's wife reminds Dracula of his wife and thinks it's the reincarnation of his wife and we're off and running so you got Gary Oldman Keanu Reeves Anthony Hopkins um Carrie why not? Yeah, Carrie always. Why not a rider? Francis Ford Coppola. It's it's just does a good job with a very very old story about Dracula. Yeah, very beautifully. A lot of a lot of beautiful stuff in there. Like just in terms of shots and looks and stuff, along with some very horrific body image, like body horror. Like I think that there's like the mid transformation when he's going from like being a wolf to to a vampire again. There's the weird Keanu Reeves sex scene with the vampires and like when when Dracula opens the door, like two of them are like fused together as they're like crawling. It's weird. This movie made over two hundred million dollars in the early. 90s. Oh yeah, it made bank. It was it was a big deal. I remember that. Yeah. Absolutely. So no, that's, that's a that's, that's my a number two. two. man. What's your number uh, one? My, my number one is arachnophobia. I fucking hate spiders, and I love John We love Goodman. you, Ray. <laughs> Dave, why don't you... Uh, this is also on your list. Why don't you uh, go ahead and give a better synopsis of this movie than I can? Man, this is my number four list. I, I mean, it, it, was, it was just so damn good. I mean, and there's so many good performances. Jeff Daniels is in this. John yes, Goodman's yes. The Exterminator. Uh, there's... You know, it all starts off with a rare breed of spider that they get from the rainforest in, what, Brazil? That hitch a ride back, they bite some guy, one of the photographers, they bite him, it, the thing gets transported back to some town somewhere in Helena something, or I don't know what the hell it was called. Venezuela. It was a rainforest of Venezuela, right. I mean, I mean, where the town is is irrelevant. It it's is. a relatively isolated it's a town. a small in the town right. where... Like an Americana... The photographer right. dies in Venezuela and a they spider... They bring the spider back, and they bring it back. And it, mer- it mates with a common house spider, and, you, you know, like Tony said with Dracula, you're off and running. Because now you've got the breeding capabilities of the average house spider mixed in with a m- very venomous arachnid. And it just explodes and they take over the town and it is just a fantastic ride. And it there is, yeah, I mean, if you have a fear of spiders and we know a lot of people do and I'm not fond of them either, this movie will m- literally make you want to get up and leave because there's so many moments where you're just, holy shit, I can't watch this. And you're talking about body oh. horror, horror and bad, disturbing scenes, <laughs> spiders crawling out of the guy's mouth and nose. After the, 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 yeah. the, I mean, that kind of stuff is just my, terrifying. My thing with that movie, my thing with that movie that I think is really great is it's about the near misses. It's about all the times when people are unaware that spiders are around and that they could nearly get bit. And, and that's, I love a good horror film that builds tension with that, where you're like, oh my God, here it comes. And oh, oh, they just got away. But isn't that the thing about life too? I mean, like right. that's so closely associated with almost something that's completely factual. I think is you're never more sure, than like, like six six to eight feet away from a spider. Right. Like right now, there could be one crawling up your wall behind you, Great. and you don't know it because you're looking at a camera s- talking to us. As long as and I don't see for spiders, I'm not. I'm literally not. But I'll, I've always had this kind of belief: is if I don't see it, fine. As far as spiders right. go, because 
they kill all the other bugs if you if yes, you in, within your house or your basement or whatever else. So if you have cats and spiders, you're probably pretty good. <laughs> that is true. That is true. It it is a movie that I I left off um, because outside of my number one, I didn't really go with a lot of like horror with humor. And this is an interesting mix of horror and humor. Like I almost put one movie in there, Peter Jackson's Dead Alive which is quoted as being the goriest movie ever made, but is also one of the goofiest movies I've ever seen where dudes attack zombies with a lawnmower. So it, it just, yeah, it's, it's a great, great movie. It just was, it was, it was an honorable mention in my world. Yeah. I'd, so I put down, I, I had a top 18. So let me just run down some movies quick. We've already talked about misery. I know what you did last summer. Didn't come up. Um, yeah. How about, how about idle hands? <laughs> right. Yeah. That's more comedy horror. Uh, the Devil's Advocate. Did we have that some in another list? Nope, no, it that's, is that's never made a list. For I'll me, Bride of, Bride of Chucky made the top fifteen for me, just as a tribute to the whole series, because I thought that was better than the other Chucky's that were in the nineties. The original one was eighty something. Uh, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, uh, People Under the Stairs, and Night of the Living Dead. Nice. All of those are worthy flicks too. Like that's what's you know it's you know they're all very very fine movies. My number one was Wes Craven reviving his career by kind of making fun of his career. And that's Scream. Scream with uh, Ghostface becoming this new, like, quote-unquote, iconic horror character. And he talked about big, you know, big-time cast, Drew Barrymore, Corny Cox. Make fun of them all you want, but David Arquette was a legit name at the time. Uh Skeet Ulrich is in that movie. Matthew Lillard, uh, Rose McGowan, just a, a a ton of young people. Jamie Kennedy isn't Jamie Kennedy plays like the best friend. There's so yeah, it was a lot of young. Uh, it was a young up and coming cast and a lot of things. And they did a lot of things that I thought were clever. Clever first, they advertised Drew Barrymore. Sorry, you forgot. But, you forgot. You forgot somebody. Who did I forget? Oh, Nev Campbell. Thank you. But I, I'm sorry, I don't really like Nev Campbell. Um, the main character of the whole. She is the star thing. of the shit. She is the star of the movie. Um, but they the the thing I always loved about it was they did something that Psycho did back in the day. They advertised Drew Barrymore and then killed her in the first scene of the movie. And Psycho did the exact same thing with um, Jeanette Lee. Like everybody's like, oh, she's gonna, she's the star. We're, we're gonna follow her, and then she gets murdered in the shower. And people are like, well, now what? And this did a very similar thing. And then you, you know, the story moves forward, but it was to establish Ghostface characters. And it was all about the horror movie genre. It was a horror movie made for fans of horror movies. You know, Jamie Kennedy's character is supposed to be the audience. With and Dave kind of alluded to it, the the characters following the rules of horror films and asking, you know asking people questions about horror movies to try and get them an opportunity to be let off the hook. And, you know, there's always a twist and a swerve and it's just, it's all there and it's, it's very cleverly done. It was, it's oddly enough, it's fun. Like it's a fun horror movie with some good jump scares, some good creative deaths. It's just, it was really, really great stuff. I love it. And it was, it was the biggest horror movie of the of the year and in my and for me it was my favorite of the decade so that's my number one scream 
I mean, it, it led to how many sequels? It led to a TV series? I it's mean, still, it's still having sequels in the TV series. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, how, many, how many spoof movies, too? Scary movie is oh, basically God, yes. because of Scream, right? Yeah, um, absolutely. Can I ask you guys a question, though? Is Scream 2 better? No. I don't, I don't know. Um, I liked it because it's, I, I would say that it's, I think it's really good. I don't know. I still kind of prefer the first one, but it kept with the theme of the first one in, in a way that was really good. Cause you know, Jamie Kennedy's the tape giving sequel or, or sequel roles, uh, and talking about what happens in the, in the horror movie sequel and kind of keeping that theme going as, as they move it through. So I, yeah, I like, I like the sequel as well. It starts to really fall off the wagon around three though. No, don't don't go don't go don't go past there. So that's my number one. Dave. Yeah, the big the reveal. On you. All I'll the say big... about I did want to say something about Scream though. I it was one that I left off because I knew it was on your list. It's it's kind of like one it's like a song you've heard too many times where it loses some of the luster because like, ah shit, you know. But it it is so cleverly done with Wes, Wes Craven poking fun at himself, like the rules for horror movies. That Geico commercial. Where they 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 run and they hide. let's hide behind the chainsaws. That's kind of a you know that doesn't happen. Why don't we just get into the running car? Yeah. What are you crazy? Anyway, um, my number one is one of the greatest remakes I've ever seen and ever experienced, and it is Cape Fear. Robert De Niro and just magnificent Max Cady. Is, I mean, the original one was fine. This one just amplified everything. Nick Nolte's the lawyer who doesn't get him off and then max katie basically gets himself on appeal out of prison and it's all about targeting nick nolte's character and and man the the performance by de niro in this is absolutely magnificent you guys should know by now i'm a big de niro mark um the sense of tension and and just how clever max katie because he's not like a lot of these other movies with the serial killers in the shadows stalking you he's right in your face and Nick Nolte knows he's, he's coming like out. Like everybody knows he's there. Yeah. It's great stuff. It's so tough because this is a fucking awesome movie. I think like the the literal sense of the movie genre thriller is so hard in the 90s because you can put that into drama, into action, into horror. And and yeah, great, great fucking choice, Dave. I, it just and, and the stuff, I mean, the houseboat scene at the end. And where where right. Max Katie eventually dies. I mean, a very young Juliet Lewis is in this. Uh, uh, Jessica Lang is magnificent as as the the mom, the what the wife of uh, Nick Dolte's wife. But man, if if you have not seen this, my wife hasn't seen it. She, I told her my list this morning. She says if you've got that ranked higher than Interview with the Vampire, I need to check that out because she loves Interview with the Vampire. The, as great Interview with the Vampire is definitely the better, more. When you think of the word horror, it's the better horror movie. But as far as horrific elements and everything going on uh, and the sense of tension, the sense of impending dread, and you just know that the hammer is going to fall at any second. You're just not sure when Cape Fear has got it beat. And that's number one for me. I got to say this real quick. I didn't put interview with a vampire on my list because it's to me, it's a melodramatic horror done better than Twilight. Like I would say it's a better, but like I never, I my pulse never quickens during interview with a vampire. It's more of like this like fascinating sort of character study, as as you look at Brad Pitt and and Tom Cruise as Lestat, and it's very well done. And it's not to say that you know I, anywhere I've ever gone, it's 
generally put in the horror section of like say the video store if you will last blockbuster coming soon by the way on netflix check it out mm-hmm. and um today but, but that was that was why i left off um like i left off interview with the vampire for that reason i kind of left off Dra- dracula i would say is the better horror vampire movie and just sort of the turn in terms of horror. And I say this as I do recognize, yes, they rip out people's throats. Cape fear. You're, I almost, I didn't include it because I figured Dave would include it. Oddly enough, as we, we joked about this off, off the show, there's a lot of familiarity being bred amongst the nerds these days. And you start, you, you know, you're starting to get a sense of people's tendencies and types and, and what they like and, and what sort of movies they got. And I was like, there's no way Dave doesn't have this on his list. So, it, it, you know, it gave me an opportunity to put something like Ringu or Funny Games on there because I really, I think those are great films to check out. It's kind of a, it's a great point that you have there is between this 80s and 90s project, you, you can really see us as movie fans uh, defining our taste, you know, right. uh, Dave is so much in love with the, the, the mind game and the thriller and things that involve a lot of thought and process. Whereas anything with a little bit of comedy is going to touch my heart. I'm a little simpler. Right. And Patrick is always out there while he appreciates everything that's in front of him is always out there seeking, knowing that there's something that's not necessarily better, but different and just as enjoyable right outside the box that we live in. So it's, it's really, it's really shaped a lot of our personalities in the way the show presents itself. And Ray's all about Fern Gully. That's all you need to yeah. know. Yeah, I mean, that was Fern simple. Gully. Some, some yeah. people just live that Fern Gully life. You know, what are you going to do? That's true. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to do it for the top 10 horror. We're not simple, Ray. I love you. <laughs> and I do feel like it's only fair that Fern Gully be put on the poll as one of the top horror films of the 90s. Oh, God, it would uh, be a horror it, it, if it I had to watch it. that more than once. Yeah, there you go. Right, there you go, there you go, because it's horrible. Anyway, oh. <laughs> I know, I know. I'm the East German judge. I, I'm terrible. <laughs> no, I, don't, I don't like anything. Get off my lawn. Old man yells at cloud, all of that stuff. Next week, we bring the 90s project to a close with the most difficult of difficult lists, our top 10 comedies of the 90s i can't wait and yet i'm also a little scared i've had mine done for like three weeks (laughs) i haven't even started mine i'm still trying to figure out how i'm going to put this all together tune in i think it's going to be a banger of a show next week we've joked about how long it's going to be it's we got a lot of good stuff and i just it that's what it's going to be it's going to be a great show it's going to be a long show we might need like seven commercials just to kind of break things up for us a little bit so but that's that's you might need more than one scotch you might need two or three sure i might need like six that'll be a future us problem though okay we'll 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 discuss that next week for now mayonnaise and instrument what a go jellyfishing what am i supposed to do all day while you're at school can i use your bathroom who's your friend what does claustrophobic mean? <laughs> you know what the problem is. Okay. I mentioned this at the top of the show. We're recording this on Sunday, March 14th. Today is Selection Sunday for the NCAA basketball tournament. It's my favorite day of the year. Just to get you all, all ramped up a little bit before I ask my question. A little music. Give it a second. And... 
it's time. Oh, it feels so good. It feels good. I'm just, I'm just disappointed in your distinct lack of reactions. So, to the greatness that is this song. I was just checking on the score of the Illinois game, but I'm not going to tell don't you. Don't talk happening. about I'm not, it. Don't I'm not. You dare fucking talk about it, and you don't talk. Don't say a word. Don't. I can't believe they're down. I can't. I didn't know a team could be down that many points so early in the game. And better be talking about Ohio State. Anyway, yes, everyone, we're recording this as my beloved Fighting Illini are playing the Ohio State Buckeyes for a Big Ten tournament championship before we go into Selection Sunday. I love the NCAA tournament so much. I take the first two days of the tournament off of work to go to Buffalo Wild Wings and watch the games in the afternoon. I sit down and I tell the wait staff, just keep bringing me beers and ask me if I want a little bit more food. I want all four. I want to be in position to see all four tournament brackets on each screen. And I watch basketball for six hours. Can I just say Jay Billis sold your team this morning and did it using a superhero reference? He did. He talked about Batman and the Hulk. He said he said that Io DeSumo with the black mask. Oh yeah, you we are all about our team in Illinois. And so my I the tournament to me is like this just fascinating microcosm of college basketball and and just the the joy and also the agony, like everything that comes into what is great about sport. And so for my question to you all, it doesn't have to be for the NCAA tournament. But the greatest high you've ever experienced watching a live sport. I froze, didn't I? Okay, because you guys froze on my end. I was like, shit. So take a moment to think about the best like live moment you've seen in sports. That just That's the first thing that comes to your mind. I'm actually going to play mine, and I'm going to dedicate it to Mr. Ray Cash. Throughout the season, when in trouble in the second half, they've managed to find another gear. Can they do it with time running out? There is Ogg. Ingram to bat the ball away. Williams could tie it with a three. He goes! That is from the 2005 Elite Eight. Final four bid on the line between the University of Illinois and Arizona. Illinois was down eight points with a minute to go. Tied it, brought it to overtime, and got the win. When it's it's one of those things I watch when I feel sad and it makes me smile. I love that moment. It's why sports are great. Stuff like that is why sports are great. And it's my favorite NCAA tournament moment of all time. And that team made a Final Four. They made it to the national championship game. They didn't win it. But but I will never forget that game. And Ray says he he hates me for it. So what about you two? What do you guys got? Kind of I'll let I'll let Dave go last. Uh, uh, if we're sticking with NCAA, it's when the Badgers beat the undefeated Kentucky team. Oh, that was a great game. It would it would be them winning the national championship, but they fell to Duke, unfortunately, blowing it down the stretch. But for me, I can't pick. It's between one of two. It's either the Brett Favre or Aaron Rodgers Super Bowl victories. Uh, the first one I watched with my dad. The second one I actually 
stayed home. I had to work the next day. I tried to get off and I couldn't and I had to work and I knew if I went to the party I was supposed to go to, I wasn't going to go to work the next day. So, and that was not an option. So I, I stayed home and, and I kind of watched that one alone and that one was pretty special too. But Super Bowl victories, those two to me, um, very special. I, anytime they come on the NFL Network, I'm definitely there to see, you know, Favre to Andre Risen or, uh, you know, playing against Pittsburgh, a great performance by Aaron Rodgers and Clay Matthews. Uh, Pat, a little chair shot radio bonus here. The Islanders lost Anders Lee for the remainder of the season, which makes me smile. Sorry, that's Anders. Huge. That's that's, huge, yeah. that's their top player. For me, if it's NCAA we're talking about, it's a tie between Georgetown winning the championship over Houston and then Maryland beating Indiana for the title. Uh, especially when you look at what those programs had gone through with Georgetown with the devastating loss to North Carolina, Maryland blowing the final four lead against Duke the year before. But the greatest live moment that I've ever experienced is easy for me because I was there. Wasn't that Dick Enberg on the announcement for your clip there, Pat? Oh, yeah. He does the announcement for mine as well. It's Super Bowl 17. I was at the Rose Bowl. John Riggins breaking that run to give the Redskins. Yes, I'm going to say the Redskins. Fuck it. Because that's who they were in 1982. Breaking that run against Miami to give Washington their first Super Bowl. Man, I mean, I can't describe what it That stadium was probably 70% Washington, 30% Miami. You're 103,000 people at the Rose Bowl. Yeah, nothing. Nothing will ever experience that. The only thing that comes close is the U.S. Olympic hockey team watching that. Ha- and that wasn't even live because it was tape delay. And you kind of knew what right. had happened. It's cool. Excellent, excellent memories, guys. And that and that's the thing that I think March Madness really does is this first weekend is always the special weekend. It's, it's the weekend for the little guys, for the schools that maybe you haven't heard of and their opportunity to show what they've got. Before you start to whittle things down, come Sweet 16, Elite Eight, and the Final Four. So, to all you basketball fans out there, enjoy today. Raise a glass. Here's to brackets not getting busted too soon. I wish you all well. Go Illini. Now, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Before we get out of here, gentlemen, let's do a quick once around. You heard a commercial for it. Dave and Tony both participated in it. Make sure you give a listen to Mania Madness. But either one of you want to just talk about what this week's Mania Madness was about and what we got look what we got to look forward to next week. Yeah, we've already gone through the first 12. Those are both up on the chairshot.com, Chairshot Radio Network. And we're doing them six at a time. This next week, we're going to go 13 through 18. So we're starting off with like Bret Hart and Austin, Undertaker and Sid, I believe. And and then we're finishing with after after the year 2000 with WrestleMania 18. We're going through the whole Rock and Austin storylines, everything else in between, a lot of Mick Foley, a lot of Triple H, uh, Vince McMahon becoming the heel boss. So DPP is going to join us this week. I can't wait for it. Chris Platt's doing a great job. Got a lot of great facts on it. Dave's got some amazing stories he's told us from the first 12, uh, especially from uh, WrestleMania 9. So if you haven't listened, Definitely go back and listen to the first two episodes. We've had a blast doing it, and we hope you're enjoying it as well. Thank you to everybody listening to Chairshot Radio Network. We appreciate your listenership. More great stuff coming every single day. New content is our goal daily, so thank you very much. Follow me at PC Tunney, and uh, glad you guys love this show as well. Bandwagon Nerds, one of my favorite shows without a doubt. 
Yeah, it's uh, Mania Madness has been a lot of fun. A lot of walks down memory lane. This next batch is going to be something else. I mean, that's the heart of the Attitude Era is what we're going to get into. So it, it's it's after the block 7 through 12, which is eh, a little hit and miss. This is going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, you can check me out on Twitter at Attitude Ag and on Facebook.com slash Attitude of Aggression. And yeah, make sure you're checking out the chairshot.com and of course, bandwagon nerds. I have a feeling that uh this poll this week is not gonna be close. Between it might. You never know. I was I was surprised. I was happy to see the fugitive one. We caught a lot of flack over our action movie number ones, by the way. It was kind of funny. There was some there was some judgment. There's some judgment. There's some old man jokes, and I think that's I blame that on the submarine movie. But uh <laughs> well, <laughs> Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Wrestling Realist. That's at W-R-E-S-T-L-N-G-R-E-A-L-I-S-T. Listen to me every Sunday morning on the Chair Shot Radio with David Ungar. You can listen to me every Monday here with Tani, usually Ray Cash and David Ungar for Bandwagon Nerds. And then every Wednesday with Greg DeMarco and Miranda Morales on the Babyface Heel podcast. That's going to do it for this week's edition of Bandwagon Nerds. Now, get yourself out of the basement. Get some sun. And work on those brackets because it's selection Sunday. It'll be selection. It'll be a Monday of tournament choices come your way. You've been listening to Bandwagon Nerds on the Chairshot Radio Network, a part of the Chairshot.com. Scary movie. You like scary movies? Uh huh. What's your favorite scary movie? Uh, I don't know. You have to have a favorite. What comes to mind? Um, Halloween. You know, the one with the guy in the white mask who walks around and stalks babysitters? Yeah. What's yours? Guess. Um, Nightmare on Elm Street. Is that the one where the guy had knives for fingers? Yeah, Freddy Krueger. Freddy, that's right. I like that movie. It was scary. Wow, well, the first one was, but the rest sucked. So, you got a boyfriend? <laughs>
Why, you want to ask me out on a date? Maybe. Do you have a boyfriend? No. You never told me your name. Why do you want to know my name? I want to know who I'm looking at. What did you say? I want to know who I'm talking to. That's not what you said. What do you think I said? What? Hello? Look, I gotta go. Wait, I thought we were gonna go out. Uh, nah, I don't think so. Don't hang up on me. Nailing something in the cellar and the wood just disintegrated. Very much, huh? And that's what my husband thought. And he's an expert in these matters. Well, no. Didn't think so. Well, I'm glad you called me. No room for amateurs in this game. Hard to say. Would anybody object if I tore this floor out? I would. False alarm, then lead on. How bad is it? Shh. I didn't find a thing. Go figure. Well, then why is all the wood rotting? I'll tell you why. Bad wood. Well, so what do we do? Tear out bad wood. Put in good wood. My husband thought this would make a good wine cellar. Oh, yeah? I collect beer cans myself. I got a rare 74 Miller Lite with a misprint on the label. Only 100 or so cans in circulation. The husband just might want to take a gander. Counselor? Counselor? Is that you? Counselor? Come out, come out, wherever you are. I know why trash piece of shit, I'm better than you all. How can I learn you? How can I read you? I can out-thank you, and I can out-philosophize you, and I'm gonna outlast you. You think a couple of whacks to my good old boy Gut's gonna get me down? It's gonna take a hell of a lot more than that, counselor, to prove you're better than me. I am like God, and God like me. I am as large as God. He is as small as I. He came out above me, nor I beneath him be. Salasius, 17th century. Counselor? Counselor? Could you be there? Could you be there? 
counselor. I wonder if you're here. 